Hi, this is the Curious Kaki Show. My name is Sam. And I'm Yvonne. If you're new here, welcome. For our returning listeners, thanks for listening with us. And on this episode, we have Stephanie, a veterinarian, to chat with us. Hey, Steph. Thanks for coming on to the show and uh, taking time to chat with us. Hi, Steph. Hi. Hi, guys, for having me. Thanks for having me. I'm very excited to be here to chat with <laughs> you guys. And we're really excited to learn from you as well. <laughs> so um, could you just tell us a little bit about how long you've been practicing as a vet? Okay. Um, I am a small animal practitioner, which means I work in a veterinary clinic where I do mainly with uh, dogs and cats, and I've been a veterinarian for uh, almost four years plus, going into my fifth year. Oh, okay. Yes. So what actually really got you into being a vet? How did you start? Okay. Uh, well, my interest for animals started when I was really young. I was always very um, curious about animals and I believe my mom was the one who actually cultivated this interest because I remember clearly that she was the one who organized many fam- family trips to the zoo as well as uh, ecotourism destinations like goat farms. So I was exposed to animals at a very young age thanks to my mom. So um, Ooh, yes, okay. so growing up we kept like fishes, tortoises, hamsters and even a dog. And uh, one thing I remember from my childhood is that in a mall where we frequently visited, there would always be a donation box placed side by side. One would be for the orphans and one would be for an animal organization. And what my mom clearly remembers from that time is that every single time she gives us loose change, I would always put them into the donation box for the animal organization. Yeah, (laughs) so that's how my mom actually realized that I I had a keen interest in animals and when I was in primary school whenever the teacher asked us what our our ambitions were my answer would always be the same which was to be a vet I can't remember exactly why I was so sure about it back then then when we entered, uh, when I entered secondary school, I always looked forward to biology class because I just really wanted to learn more about animals. And I did consider other options as well, like psychology or human medicine. But after listening to career talks, researching about the vet profession, and after giving it a lot of thought, I realized it was veterinary medicine that I had a deep interest and passion in. And basically, there was nothing particularly dramatic that occurred to give me that light bulb moment where I realized, you know, I really wanted to be a vet, but it was more of a process of like self-discovery. When when I told people I wanted to be a vet, many did not understand uh, why I wanted to do it. And many thought that being a vet doesn't guarantee a bright future. So many people discouraged me along the way. Um, so what I did was after Form 5, I volunteered in a small animal clinic just to gain more insight about the career and to make sure I knew what I was getting into before making the decision. I was then right. very sure that it was a career that I wanted to pursue despite people around me just telling me not to do it. And now as a practicing vet- veterinarian, I have no regrets following my heart to choose this career because I can't imagine doing anything else. For a living, yeah. You you said that people around you would yes. discourage you, right? 
what was the kind of perception that the, you know, I guess the public had about being a vet? Mm, basically, they don't, they find it like a job that is not really glamorous because they say you'll be dealing with poo, dealing with blood. <laughs> and um, many people had this perception that being a vet doesn't uh, guarantee a bright future, you know. Um, yeah, but I realized I really wanted to work with animals, so I just mm. ignore what everyone told me and, yeah. and just, you know, go for it. What's like some of like a most like memorable like uh, experience like being a vet? Do you have any like you know crazy pet stories to share with us? Um, I think one of my most memorable moment would be when I was a vet student. I had a chance to work with orangutans when I wow. yeah when I did my internship in Sabah. And what was very intriguing to me was how intelligent they are. They are really, really intelligent. They real they learn very, very quickly through observation and just by try trial and error. And did you know that they share ninety seven percent of their DNA with humans? No, I didn't know. No, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so I hear this a lot actually that you know we share a certain percentage of our DNA with certain animals, right? Chimpanzees, monkeys, and you you said just now ninety seven percent with the orangutan. What does it really mean? to share such a large percentage of our DNA with, with them? Basically, what it means to me is that they are as almost as intelligent as we are. They learn really quickly through observation and that's how they actually remind me of humans. They actually, by just looking at uh-huh. them, they are almost like us, you know, they almost look the same <laughs> as humans <laughs> and just by their, you know, mannerism, their, their behavior, it's very human-like mm. almost, yeah. But what do you think we can learn from these animals, um, whether it, like, you know, be cats, dogs, or, uh, or the, you know, the orangutans, what, like, mm-hmm. as humans, what, what can we learn from them? I think one thing we can learn from dogs especially is unconditional love. <laughs> They really love their owners no matter what the owners do. Like sometimes even though I see some owners that, you know, just refuse all treatment for their pets um, due to, I don't know, personal reasons or just very poor pet ownership, you can actually see that the dog still, you know, really love the owner, which is something, yeah, <laughs> I can't understand like why. Yeah, but... Somehow dogs, they, they can really show that, you know, unconditional love. They really love their owners no matter what. Yeah. It's a bit sad, right? Because you yeah. um, see that all the time that yes. um, regardless of how much abuse that they've been getting from, from the owners, but they still, yes. like, you know, love, love Correct. and cherish them. Yeah. Um, earlier, you mentioned, you know, that sometimes the owners don't really take care of their pets mm. really well. Yeah. So, like, I was wondering what sort of vet pet peeves, so to speak, would you have with owners? Okay. <laughs> I'm sure every vet would have their own list of pet peeves. Um, for me, one of it would be owners that diagnose and self-medicate their pets instead of bringing them to the, to the vet. Well, because when owners resort to looking for Dr. Google instead of bringing them to the vet and start Googling like, symptoms that their pets have and self-medicating, they can end up treating the wrong issue and thus delaying proper treatment for their pet. And they are definitely dangerous involved 
when you medicate your pets without a proper consultation with a vet and without having an actual diagnosis of your pet's condition. For example, improper dosing, severe side effects and toxicity is are one of them. And not all human medications can be used for pets. One common mistake that owners do is to feed Panadol. Don't ever feed oh, no. yeah, don't ever feed that to your dog <laughs> or cat, even if you think it is having a fever or it is in pain because it can affect many body systems, in particularly the blood as well as the liver. And it can be fatal, especially for cats. Yeah. And another pet peeve I would have is when owners actually send you like a very blurry image of their pet's body part or a video of a particular symptom like vomiting or diarrhea uh, instead of bringing them to you. Because let me illustrate why we as vets, we won't be able to help you and your pets properly if you were to do that. Because, for example, there are actually many possibilities in terms of causes of skin diseases in dogs and cats. It can be due to a parasite, uh, bacterial, fungal, hormone-related, allergy-related, or even tumour in older pets. So sending a photo of your pet's skin lesion to, to a vet won't be helpful because we, we actually need to perform like tests in order to rule in and out diseases before we can actually prescribe uh, medications. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. Is it that the owners sort of think um, animal medicine mm. isn't as complicated? Yes. So they kind of. That is very oh. accurate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because actually, a lot of owners, they actually wait too long to seek treatment most of the time. Um, you have to bring your pet to the vet if you ever notice anything unusual because some owners they actually bring them really late and once you delay diagnosis and treatment there there are consequences because once a disease actually reaches a later stage it can come with more complications and it can actually affect chances of recovery or survival which is a sad thing yeah got it got it I guess working with like a lot mm-hmm. of animals, right? Do you deal with a lot of um, like you know loss, um, and like how do you kind of separate that that state yep. of like you know your emotional state and also um you know focusing on on doing the work and, and treating them, um, like how do you kind of cope with like separate yep. that that, yep. that two stages? It's yeah. definitely not easy because working as a vet, you deal with a lot of um sometimes pain and suffering of animals. Um, yeah, like I mentioned sometimes the owners bring them when the disease is at a later stage and the, the pet is actually you know not doing well. Um, it can be emotionally draining because when uh, pets, you know, when when the owners bring in their pets that are not doing well, the owners themselves are emotional, they are, you know, having a lot in their mind and it can be difficult. Yeah, it can be difficult. Um, mm-hmm. But I just have to tell myself that, you know, um, my my job is to help the animal. So I just try to focus on that. Mm. And I try to, you know, not let the emotions get to me. It's definitely not easy. Sometimes it can be very difficult, mm. especially when the owners are very, very emotional. They can say things that are unreasonable at times. But you just have to tell yourself that, you know, they are just being humans. Uh, you try to put yourself into their shoes and... You just tell yourself to, you know, just focus on what you are there to do, which is to 
um, help mm. elevate the, the pain of the animal. Yeah. Mm. Mm, I understand. At some point in mm-hmm. like your love career, have you ever regretted going down this path of being a veterinarian? Have you ever had that thought come come like you know? Okay, you definitely know, like, no, not at all. Because like I mentioned, I can't imagine doing anything else for a living. And I'm extremely grateful to be uh doing what I love. But definitely there are there will there will be down times where where I don't regret, you know, being in the profession, but I would feel like exhausted and, and burn out. Yeah. yeah. Right. Um, so we talked about some stresses that you face and, and burnout as well. Um, other than, you know, facing the distress of animals and of course unreasonable owners, what are other challenges that you face uh, being a veterinarian? Okay, when I first started practicing, when I was a fresh, you know, freshly out of university, I remember working extra hard to build the owner's trust because they always have this perception that you're young, you know, you, you might not be helpful to me and you might not be able to help my vet. So I'm sure this is a common struggle for every vet who just joined the working force. But this became my, my drive to improve myself at every opportunity that I get to study more, to attend more conferences, to gain more knowledge so that I can give my very, very best to the patients despite being young. And um, the working environment can be challenging as well. Like I mentioned, it can be um, challenging in the sense that there's a lot of emotions involved. Uh, you need to learn to work in a very fast-paced environment, especially when you work in a busy practice. The workload and pressures right. can be great, uh, but you just have to learn how to deal with it. Yeah, One minute, you can be dealing with a very young a healthy puppy coming in for its vaccination. Very straightforward case. The mood of the room is very happy. The owners are happy. They're very excited mm-hmm. about a new pet. But next thing you you know, your next case is a sickly and old, uh, you know an older patient, and you are trying to break the news to the client that their pets having let's say like congest congestive heart failure, and the mood of the room actually becomes wow. very heavy all of a sudden. So you. As a vet, you, you need to switch fast, you know. You, you, there will never be a very predictable day. And mm, another challenge mm. for me is that uh, it's sometimes quite hard to switch off after work. It is common for me to think about mm. what happened throughout the day and think about certain cases that I see during the day when I'm, even when I'm back home. It sometimes uh, affects my sleep, but I just have to tell myself, like, you know, you need to rest too. You're human, and it's time for you to tune off. Yeah, for sure. Um, what other kind of self care routines do you do to um care for yourself? Okay, um, I've got to admit that in my earlier years when I was working as a vet, I I did uh, neglect this part. Mm, it's it's more of like a conscious effort. You have to actually uh, constantly tell yourself to take care of yourself. Even simple things like making sure that you rest enough and recharge at night after work is, is very important. I try my best to eat well, sleep well, and exercise more often. And like I mentioned about journaling, that's usually what I do when I, I really feel like, you know, it's it's too much and I'm overwhelmed. Yeah, I, I tend to do that mm. sometimes. Mm. And um, basically, mental health is, is very important. You, 
when you're working, um, one thing that people don't tell you is that you have to take care of yourself first. Because um, yeah. when you're working, right. I, I, I think in, even in other industries, there won't be anyone out there mm. to always remind you, oh, you haven't eaten your lunch, you need to eat lunch, you've forgotten your toilet breaks. You right. yourself have to, you know, remind yourself and, and keep yourself in check. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. That makes sense. Is that something that they are missing out yes. on that school? <laughs> um, wow. So what else do they not tell you in vet school besides, you know, having to take mm-hmm. care of your mental health? Another thing that they were, no one will ever teach you is how to be thick skin. <laughs> this is something you have to right. learn yourself along the way. Because like I mentioned, working in a profession that provides service to people, sometimes you, you can meet um, mm-hmm. clients that are, you know, just very emotional. And it's not their fault. They, they are just, you know, in that moment, they just you know, say something hurtful or unreasonable. Sometimes uh, it's difficult to not take it personally. Sometimes you might think, oh, it's, is it me? Is it, uh, I'm, I'm trying my best, but why are they, you know, saying things like that? But you just got to stay strong. Mm. Like I mentioned, you need to switch fast. <laughs> you have to pick yourself again. You have to pick yourself up again and just right. tell yourself, you know, you're, you're doing your very best for your patients. You're doing it all for the animals. So just um, focus on that. And yep. It's not easy, but you just got to do it. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's go down like memory lane a bit, right? When you first got started, could you like give us a bit of like insight of, um, you know, what it's like, you know, it's like to study veterinarian like science okay. in, at university. In general, we, in terms of um, our lectures, we have to learn basically about all species, which include dog and cats, poultry, swine, cattle, goat, equine, and a little bit on exotics. So basically, the, yeah, the first three years of um, veterinary medicine would include what we call preclinical or paraclinical studies, where we basically study about bacteria, virus, parasite, anatomy, physiology, pharmacology, nutrition, <laughs> animal production, genetics. So basically, right. that would form your foundation. It's very important to to you know uh, realize the importance of your first two years because some some people they they think like, oh, you know, I'm going to vet school to, to save animals. You know, why am I learning about anatomy or, or, you know, all these parasites? But actually, you have to realize that it really forms the, the basics and, and your foundation. And uh, it's not just theory. The fun part about vet school is that we do a lot of hands-on. Like, I remember clearly in um, bacteriology practical, we actually learned how to grow our own bacterial culture, which was really fun. Um, then during our semester Ooh. breaks, we usually don't really get like a full-on rest. We have to do internships in various locations. For example, small animal clinics, oh. zoos, laboratories, farms, where we get exposure to hands-on experience. We get to assist the technicians there as well as the vets in their daily routine. And this is uh, the fun and exciting part because you get to travel a little and you get to experience new things with your cosmates and the remaining two years will be clinical studies and that's when we actually learn about medicine and surgery and then uh, as students in our clinical years we are usually required to go through rotations and this is where besides going to classes we will be involved in farm visitations as well as the vet um, helping out in the vet teaching hospital where we get to assist vets in monitoring the patients providing treatment and care and usually the 
I would say the last two years would be the challenging ones because uh, we had to really juggle between classes and involving being involved in rotations, doing presentations, working on our mm -hmm. final year projects. But the fun part about vet school is that right. um, besides studying and, and going through rotations, we, we as students do organize a lot of um, events and activities. Like we, It's a very close-knitted community. So I really enjoyed uh, studying there mm -hmm. despite you know, all the challenges and all the sleepless nights. A fun, you know, fun five years of my life. Wow. Yeah. That does sound fun. Yeah. Yeah. I, I do miss the uni days. Miss <laughs> yeah. So you like you mentioned, you know, um, some mm -hmm. highlights of being a vet student. Uh, what are some highlights of being a vet, a full-on practicing okay. vet? Um, I think one of the things I really enjoy working is when I see my patients get better. It really brings a lot of, mm. like, it's very rewarding, yeah, to see your, your patient actually progress from being uh, very sickly to it, to being its usual self again. It actually, you know, allows you to feel fulfilled and you actually feel like, you know, there's meaning to your job because uh, when you actually see your patients get better and the owners are happy, everyone is happy and it actually makes you feel like there's a lot of meaning and, and it actually drives you to, to work harder, yeah. And being a veterinarian, one thing I like about it is you never get bored because every day is very different. You actually see different cases daily. You deal with different clients daily and it's very interesting in that sense, yeah. Every day yeah. is just unpredictable and has its mm -hmm. own challenges. And another thing I like about being a vet is Sometimes it makes you feel like you're being a detective because like I mentioned, um, animals can't tell you what's wrong. So sometimes you, and, and the mo most of the time when the owners bring in their pets, sometimes they just give you a hint that, you know, um, my dog hasn't been eating for two days. That's the only information you have. And <laughs> that's your only clue. <laughs> oh, no. And to rely on your senses, basically, your, your sight, your smell, your, your touch and and uh, your clinical skills during your physical examination of the patient. And, and then after that, you have to decide, you know, what, what's the appropriate step to take, what, what test mm. needs to be done. Yeah. Um, do you ever get attached to the patients yeah, that you treat? Definitely, yeah. Especially those that you actually handle for many years. Sometimes even a few years handling oh. them, you, you actually get attached to the animal and and sometimes even to the owners because you actually build that that you know client vet bond and yeah sometimes it's it's difficult right. when when that pet actually goes through something uh, you know painful or or even if you need to put down the pet it, it, it's not easy yeah i'm gonna put you on the spot right there like are you more of a, a lot of owners actually ask person? me this <laughs> actually as a vet i don't really favor one species over another because to me honestly i i actually mm. like both of them a lot like they are both very adorable in their in their own ways yeah but not every every patient is is easy to handle sometimes we do get very aggressive animals <laughs> and as and and oh, as yeah. a vet it's very common for our arms and 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 you know hands to be full of like better scars <laughs> yeah oh wow mm. Is that like the mark of a successful vet? Like when you see scars <laughs> on their arms, like, wow, this guy, this person has a lot of yes, experience. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. 
because there was one occasion where most of my scars actually heal, and and one of the the cat client actually asked me, Doctor, kenapa tangan you tak ada luka? Then I'm like, then I say, what? It just healed. That's why. It's almost like the yeah, owners are also exactly, expecting, like yeah. you know, a vet. But there are some occasions where, where you know, where the owners actually know that their pets will tend to bite, but they don't actually tell you that it's yeah. sometimes one of our pet, oh, no. pet peeves as well. <laughs> like there was one occasion where um I was handling a patient and and the dog seems seem okay, so I didn't like put on a muzzle and, and everything. And then uh in the middle of the consultation, the client was like. Doctor, actually, you're very lucky. My dog usually bites. Now <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so you tell me. P.S. So, P.S. Please oh, tell wow. your vet your dog actually tends to bite if, let's say, you bring it to the vet. <laughs> it's not fun to get bitten. <laughs> I'm sure. Like, how can our Malaysian owners uh, treat vets better? How can they work together with the vet to kind of you know, hmm. improve either the relationship or the condition of the pet. Um, you mentioned one thing about telling a pet if your hmm. so telling your vet yeah. if your pet does bite. Um, what are other some what are some things that owners okay. can do? Basically, think um, owners should really understand the role of the vet and to appreciate that we vets are there to help them and their pets, because it's important to actually build a, a bond with your vet. Because once there is a bond, there is a mutual trust and respect between the vet and the client. And it really helps with the decision-making right. process where you know the vet and the client can actually communicate better and work better together, hand-in-hand in, hand in making decisions. So what I would say to owners mm. is try to be more open-minded and because your vets are there to actually discuss with you and work together with you. We are there to actually help you and your your pet to have a better bond as well. And another thing I would say to clients is mm-hmm. try to your best to be compliant. <laughs> um, you have to understand the importance of performing diagnostic tests in order to work towards the diagnosis of the case. Because I think some owners, they actually don't understand why we need to do tests. And another thing is to follow your vet's treatment plan accordingly <laughs> and to ensure that you come back for follow-up appointments right. yeah so that you know you allow your vet to reassess you know your pet and and ensure that everything is going according to plan yeah yeah as like a you know a, a vet and also a, like a mm-hmm. sort of like an animal lover right um i think i've stumbled across like a few videos where uh, yeah. you know, people yeah, shooting right. like stray stray dogs like what are your thoughts on um, the like our yes. animal welfare law and how can the government mm-hmm. like protect these vulnerable um, you know animals um, yep. yeah like, actually uh, yes that. I'm aware that there are stories like that but what gives gives me faith is that more mm. people are are trying to change you know mm. that that stigma against stray dogs um, and what I can say about the mm. law is that in recent years, there are actually efforts from all parties to actually enforce the law better. Like uh, recently, there is the Welfare uh, Law, the Welfare Act Law that is, you know, be, being implemented uh, better in the recent years. And, you know, at the same time, besides stories like this, 
uh, there are also touching stories about Malaysians showing kindness mm. to stray dogs. Like, uh, for instance, recently about you know the one about the police officer on patrol climbing into the drain just to rescue a puppy. Yeah, so these stories right. would actually you know yeah. um bring more awareness to to Malaysians as well that you know we should show kindness to stray dogs and and you know we should change that that social stigma mm. against stray dogs that you know they are yeah they are just you know um mm. dirty or they're just aggressive yeah there are you know other stories mm. that also uh brings brings faith back to me yeah and i realized that um Asians now are more mm. aware about the importance of uh, managing the population of strays like as a vet i do encounter you know mm. many uh, rescuers that actually try to uh, bring these strays for, you know, neutering programs, you know, they are involved in neutering programs, you know, that mm. uh, encourages me as well. And more people are also, more people in Malaysia are also more open to ado adopting these stray dogs. And uh, you can also see like in social mm. media platforms like Instagram, there are people trying to promote adoption programs of rescue animals as well. So I think in Malaysia, mm. um, things are starting to change more and more people are, you know, showing more compassion to stray dogs. But at the same time, you know, there are uh, things that are, you know, can be depressing, like pet abandonment. It's it's still an issue out there. Like as a vet, I, I do mm. encounter cases of uh, abandonment. Like uh, for example, um, after they hospitalize the patient and once the patient is, is getting better and we actually call them to pick the pet up, they just, you know, uh, remain uncontactable and and they just abandon the patient like that. So things like that do happen as well, yeah. So it brings me back to the topic of responsible pet ownership. You know, once you have a pet, it is a life that you are responsible mm. of. You need to take care of your pet if it's unwell it is your responsibility to bring the pet mm. to the vet, get it checked, and allow appropriate treatments to be done. Speaking of, um, you know, all this stuff mm -hmm. that you encounter in your job, right? What motivates you to show up? What keeps you going in your job as a vet, despite yeah. all the highs and Definitely lows? my love for the profession. I love my job and... Um, it's also due to my passion for animals. It's like my driving force because like you mentioned, if, if I don't love what I do, I think I wouldn't be staying in this job for, for almost five years. Yeah, Because um, like I mentioned, I, I really enjoy seeing uh, my patients get better, you know, to witness their progression, you know, from being sick to being well again. And uh, I really enjoy uh, working with, with clients, interacting with them and seeing them happy actually brings me joy as well. It brings me meaning. So it makes all the stress, the sweat, the tears all worthwhile. Yeah, because whenever I'm feeling um, just really exhausted and down, I just remind myself uh, why I chose this path in the first place, which was to work with animals to help them and to improve their quality of life. And uh, whenever I'm, I'm just feeling down, I will remind myself that, you know, I need to be grateful that I am where I am and I'm doing something I love. Yeah. So yeah. when the going gets tough, I just tell myself, you know, yeah. do it for the animal stuff. <laughs> that's that's like my motto. Yeah. Thank you. That's um mm -hmm. that's amazing. Yeah. So I think we're coming down to the end of our show right now. Um so as 
per tradition, <laughs> we have our last two questions. And Yvonne, take it away. All right. Um, how will Malaysians be able to support uh, animals mm -hmm. in you know all these like vulnerable species or species that's about to go extinct? Uh, like how would you mean in an, uh, for animals in general, right? Um, yeah, for animals. One yeah. thing is to increase awareness, like. For example, about stray dogs, you know, increase. It's important to read and increase your awareness about how to help them. Like for example, uh, neutering programs, like I mentioned, you know, um, it's good that that you know more and more people are aware about this. But I won't say that, you know, everyone in the general population is aware about this. There's still a lot of people who, who actually don't understand, you know, why we need to play our part in in managing the stray population and then uh, another thing we can do is education educating the the young the young malaysians you know about um the importance of of animal welfare you know why we need to show kindness to to animals and even the topic about uh, responsible pet ownership i think that's something that uh, we malaysians have to be you know more aware of that you know um Having a pet is not just having, you know, um, them bringing joy to you. It's not just you know the fun, fun and games. You know, playing with your pet. Yeah, it's more more than that. Yeah, you need to be a responsible owner, and you know, when your pet is sick, don't don't abandon them, and do your part as as the owner to you know be a responsible owner and and you know provide whatever care that the pet needs instead of you know just um. You know, for your own convenience, you, you don't want the, the pet to the vet, you know. Yeah. So our last question, mm -hmm. um, speaking of responsible pet ownership, if you could give our listeners uh, an experiment to do every day for 30 days, something that, that could help them with being a better pet owner um, or even a better client, to, to vets. An experiment. Would that be? Hmm. <laughs> what do you mean by ex an experiment? <laughs> so maybe something... Uh, so what is something that a pet owner can put into practice um, okay. and see the changes in either their pet or okay. yeah, in their relationship with Understand. their pet? Something okay, I think one thing that days. we owners can do at the moment especially when you know many of us are working from home uh, not for me but <laughs> some some of you uh, one thing is to pay more attention to your <laughs> pets because I think um, when most of us are, are working and we tend to neglect certain things because I do realize that um, some owners they just bring their their pets in much later rather than earlier is because they actually do not notice something unusual in their pets. Like for example, we have, sometimes we encounter mm. um, people bringing their pets, you know, with a lump and they tell us like, oh, I just noticed this yesterday, but it's a really huge lump. So yeah, one thing I can advise owners is to right. actually um, pay more attention since you're at home more to actually, um, you know, look at certain things. Like one thing um, clients tend to overlook is, dental health, for example, you know, check, you can check your dog's or cat's teeth, you know, mm. see whether, you know, there's anything unusual because they do need scaling like us. <laughs> so yeah, my advice would be to 
you know, these oh, 30 days, maybe you can, what you can do is to observe your, your pet's behavior more because sometimes that's when owners actually pick up that there is something wrong with the pet when, when there's changes in their behaviors. Because like for cats, sometimes um, they mm. are very subtle. Whenever they are sick, they don't really show much symptoms. Sometimes all they do is just sleep more. So if you notice that your pet is actually sleeping more, it's, it's not mm. something that is good. Some owners, they think that, oh, my pet is sleeping more, it's more comfortable, but that's not the case sometimes. It means that they are sick. That's why they are weak. Yeah. So now this is usually where yeah. uh, we get you to do your plug, right? But um, as we have discussed before the episode, you're actually unable to do so because of professional etiquette. So for all of you listening out there, if you have any questions on animals and your pets, uh, I believe Stephanie has some specific advice for you. My advice uh, would be bring your pet oh. to the vet. <laughs> all right. Please make sure that you are uh, going to your local vet and not uh, Googling or asking yeah. your vet friend. Don't ever give that. Or giving Panadol. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Thank you so much, Steph, for chatting with us. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Steph. And for all of you listening, thanks for listening with us on the Curious Kaki Show. Yay! Stay curious. <laughs> and I'm Yvonne.